I'm Damian Willis, and this is The Reporter's Notebook from the Las Cruces Sun News, a podcast in which we attempt to pull back the curtain on our reporting process while diving deeper into some of the biggest stories of the week. This week, we're talking to New Mexico State University Chancellor Dan Arvisu. Ahead of this year's 60-day legislative session, we wanted to find out what sorts of legislation the university would like to see passed. We'll take a deep dive into how proposed legislation might impact NMSU. Some of the things Arvisu and his colleagues in higher education around the state would like to see are a 10% average increase in compensation fully funding the mandated 1% increase in retirement benefits for the next two years, a 5% increase in instruction and general funding, and $10 million to invest in workforce training. While New Mexico is looking to have an historically large budget in the coming fiscal year, no one seems to have much of an appetite for allocating it to recurring costs. Instead, the thinking seems to be focused on ways to make one-time, non-recurring investments that will benefit the state in the long run. NMSU is also hoping to get a healthy dose of capital outlay and general obligation bond funding, totaling nearly $60 million to improve facilities on its campuses around the state. We'll also be talking to Clayton Abbey, NMSU's Interim Assistant Vice President for Government and Community Relations, who will be doing much of the work for the university in convincing lawmakers in Santa Fe to make these investments. And Sherry Coleman, NMSU's Associate Vice Chancellor for Digital Learning. This week, I'm grateful to have Chancellor Arvisu, Sherry, and Clayton joining us. First, Chancellor Clayton Sherry, thanks for joining us this week on uh, The Reporter's Notebook. Mm-hmm. Happy to be here. Thank you, Damien. Let's just kind of start from where we stand right now. We're a little more than halfway through this fiscal year. How is the budget looking right now? Uh, for the university, I'm assuming you're asking. Um, sure. And, 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 I, and I can tell you that, that um, you know, we pride ourselves in balancing our budget every year. Uh, sometimes that's pretty pretty uh, challenging to do because you never, you know, there's a, there's a number of uh, dynamics and I'm going to call complexities to our budget process. We've got a number of different categories of, of uh, funding resources. Each of them have constraints. Some of them come from the federal government, some come from states, some come from the, from uh, donors, some come from uh, you know, agencies, federal agencies, state agencies. Anyway, we got lots of, of, of resource revenue streams coming in. We used to uh, call them, them buckets. Yeah, buckets. Thank they're, you. They're buckets and, and, of money that uh, you can't use this yeah. one for this stuff, but you can use this one for that stuff. Exactly, exactly. And, and, and there's lots of good reasons why it's, you know they're, they're, the money's constrained that way. But it makes our 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 budgeting process extremely complicated. Now, what I can say is, you know, we will balance the budget because essentially we are we're committed to do that. And um, we end up, you know, essentially having at the end, you know, at the end of the year to reconcile some things. You know, you've got some some deficits in some areas. You've got some overages in other areas and you kind of reconcile those as much as you can. But at the end of the day, you balance the budget. So relatively speaking, the enrollments are up uh, from, uh, you know, from from previous times. So we've got, I think, a uh, a set of resources that allow us to continue to make progress. We we I, I, I will stop. From saying that we have enough, we dump, definitely do not. We need a lot more resources than we, than we have, but we do have, uh, uh, you know, at least adequate resources to continue making progress uh, on our mission objectives. And I, I think that's a, that's a pretty positive situation. For us. Another way of saying what I said previously is uh, I, I used to cover public schools and I had a superintendent that I was covering at the time who was always fond of saying, not all money is green. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that, it. Certainly feels that way sometimes. It, it, it's a, some money uh, which comes. I like. I like to say the unfunded mandates is, is money that comes in as red because they give you a little bit of money and then they give you a, a bunch of scope that you can't pay for with the money they gave you. Right. So you, and we have a number of those things that that happens on a regular basis more often than you would expect. So unfortunately. 
Do you want to talk a little bit about the difference between recurring and non-recurring investments and perhaps what you've heard from legislators so far uh, about how they're looking at the two? I know that is kind of, even though we've got, we're probably looking at a historically large budget. um, There doesn't seem to be a whole lot of appetite from where I stand to invest in recurring costs. That, that is that is correct, Damien. I've heard that from a number of legislators, including the leadership, both uh, you know on the House and the Senate side. I think what you what you hear from them is a recognition that even though these are these are you know unprecedented banner years of resources coming primarily from again oil and gas, that it's not a given that they will be forever. These are these are volatile uh, revenue streams, and historically they come and go in cycles. And when it's either boom or bust, and uh, we we tend to be in a boom cycle right now relative to the genera- generation of revenues from oil and gas, but it's not a given that that'll remain for any period of time. You know, again, prognosticators are always projecting what what's going to happen in the future, and uh, no one really has a good crystal ball. But they're they're suggesting this might this might occur for another two or three years, and we don't know what happens after that. But very likely, it could uh, again do the boost and bump uh, boost. The, uh, the boom and bust thing that normally occurs on a regular basis. Right. And so, and the Albuquerque Journal just recently ran a editorial saying that, speaking of prognosticating, that mm-hmm. this might be our last really good boom cycle. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Now, I would I would hesitate to speculate. But, you know, the numbers are, are amazing. Three point six billion is the numbers that I keep hearing, um, you know, of, of revenue beyond what we had last year. Most of it, obviously, one one time. But some of it is, re- is, is recurring. And as you suggested earlier, I think, you know, we, we keep hearing that people would like us to look at how do we turn one time money into recurring money? And uh, one of the things that the legislature did last year is they really hit upon this idea of endowments. And so um, we got a generous uh, allocation of endowments last year. That's something on the order of $36 million that essentially you put wow. into a fund and then it throws off, you know, with the interest that it generates, it throws off recurring money for a long period of time. We'd like to do more of that if we can. Clayton, I guess the same question for you. What what are you hearing with the legislators you're talking to? So it seems to be a, a concept that legislators and the governor are wrestling with. I think one reason why there was such an appetite for endowments last year is that we had a relatively large amount of federal funding to spend down. Right. And uh, that was somewhat related to the dispute between the legislature and the governor in terms of who had the authority to determine how that money was spent. And so that, I think, is where we first tested this appetite of endowments. And so I think naturally many thought, well, if there's a continued awareness that there is some eventual revenue cliff for oil and gas, which is continuing this, this uh, ro- these robust coffers that we have, then maybe endowments are a way to seal some semblance of recurring funding going forward. And so I know we as an institution sort of took that line of thinking in some of our proposals, and that has been received very differently from a variety of legislators. Some are sort of encouraged and they're, they're looking at us and saying, well, you seem to be getting the message that this will not last forever. And there are others, though, that feel like endowments may not solve the problem per se, or they they just have a different approach. And so I think what we sort of look at is we are most concerned about having the recurring revenue as an institution to support our operations. And we will ultimately leave it to the budgeters to decide how to deliver that those recurring funds to us. Yeah, it really does seem to be a step in the direction of bridging that gap between recurring and non-recurring funds. But at the same time, you're still kind of at the at the at the whims of the market, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And uh, interest rates and, and that sort of thing. 
Well, it, exactly, uh, Damien. I think one of the things that we're recognizing is that um, you know the markets are not static. Uh, you know, after after the pandemic, uh, you know, su- supply chain disruptions, a variety of other, uh, I, I think, disruptions to our delivery of products and goods and services, and it all of a sudden, I, you know, we, we've been saying for some time the nature of the workplace has changed, and I would offer after the pandemic, the nature of the workforce has changed expectations uh, for labor these days is very, very different. So in addition to inflation, which we're seeing, we're seeing automation, uh, you know, occurring in, 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 in industries where essentially they're trying to reduce costs because labor is typically your, your biggest cost. Right. And so, and so all of these uh, are kind of, uh, con, you know, uh, building on one another and, and, and they have a fairly significant effect on operating costs. So, you know, in, co- things cost more, you know, uh, labor costs more, most of our operational expenses at a university are typically labor costs. So you have to think through, uh, you know, what are these what are these escalation in costs and what is that? You know, what do these market dynamics actually mean for how you operate an institution like a university? And uh, it's very, very uh, clear that we don't have our arms around that one yet. Uh, you know, we've been told by the legislature, hey, don't put in a lot of things that relate to recur- to um, to inflationary costs, those kinds of things, although they recognize that, you know, everything costs more now, especially energy and everything else. That conversation, particularly during the pandemic, was driven largely by laborers. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, again, we're we're trying to educate, you know, our our population, uh, citizens of New Mexico to take on jobs in New Mexico. So it's not just, you know, the research jobs, which we many of us like to like to focus on, but it's all of the service jobs. It's it's everything in, in the economy. And uh, and we just need to have a well-prepared, you know, uh, workers, you know, to, to take on those positions. But the dynamics of the marketplace has changed. So we've got to give our our uh, our students uh, a few more skills. They need they need life skills, they need critical thinking skills, they need ways in which they can take on the new, um, I think, expectations in the marketplace of what jobs require. Yeah, so we've we've got to work cut out us both on the pedagogy and try to understand how do we how do we educate these folks, and then how do we prepare them best. Yeah, it seems like we've been talking about soft skills uh, for a long time now, and nobody has really been able to (laughs) nail that down. Yeah, that's right. You know, one of the things that I'm very excited about and and, uh, part of the reason we wanted Sherry on the the conversation uh, is, uh, is, you know, it's it's a little bit of a dilemma what to do. You know, there's not enough resources. We don't know how we can we can make, uh, you know, ends meet. And yet, uh, you know, and and the dynamics of the marketplace are changing. Uh, You know, student expectations are different. uh, Employer expectations are different. One of the things that that the pandemic has given a lot more light to is our digital assets. And so uh, we we anticipated a little bit of this pre-pandemic and um, brought in uh, Dr. Sherry Coleman, who has been a rock star for us in turning our digital assets and our online programs in essentially into a, a a more major mainstream part of our university offerings. And it will help us not just with, with our pedagogy and with supporting our students, but it will also help us with our financial stability. Yeah. And, and that's actually a really great transition because I noticed that NMSU is going to be requesting a little more than $69 million in non-recurring funding, if I'm reading it right, to invest in student success. And the largest chunk of that, about $27.5 million, will go to NMSU online, which I suspect is kind of if not a direct result, an indirect result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Dr. Coleman, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for the question. Um, right now, we have, you know, we originally set out to request a $27.5 million. One of the things that we have learned, um, you know, through Clayton and being up with some of the uh, legislators is that, you know, there is already a bucket of money, if you will, for about $4 million of that request um, due to the broadband initiatives that have been going on. Right. So we, what we are doing is re- really... T- 
um, seeking about $23.5 million for the expansion of our online environment and our online operation. You know, NMSU, um, to their credit, to uh, um, the chancellor's credit, is early on really saw this as a way to distinguish ourselves in the state of New Mexico, but also looking at our institution as a HSI, which is a Hispanic-serving institution, and an MSI um, institution, and really saying, okay, how can we move our state forward? And one way to be able to do that is to provide these digital assets and create this online learning environment to meet students where they're at. And so, you know, as we did our market research um, early on, one of the things that we noticed is that we had over 333,000 New Mexico residents that had some level of education, but never completed. And so that right from the beginning has been a market for us that we want to make sure that we're educating our own New Mexico residents throughout the entire state. The other piece that we we um, investigated was looking at how many of our New Mexico residents were taking online programs from some of our competitors, some of the mega universities that have have saturated our market in New Mexico. You know, one of them being Grand Canyon University. Sure. That that is a very large uh, competitor to us right now. And we learned that, you know, we have over 55,000 students in our backyard taking these programs, which is essentially taking money out of our state. Right. Right. And so. And so as the state university in New Mexico, we have the expertise and, you know, the chancellor and the executive team, they've already invested over $3 million creating the infrastructure we have. I say that because so many other institutions, and there, there's also some within our own state where they're looking at other organizations. We call them OPMs um, in this world, which stands for Online Program Managers. And what that is, it is a for-profit organization that comes into universities and they run all of their online programs, but they take it um, as part of a, a, a rev share model. And that, too, is taking money and finances out of our state when we should be retaining them right here in New Mexico. I was I was speaking recently with Dr. Dulcinea Lara about the ethnic studies department and and the efforts to perhaps create a certificate program for teachers in California who are mandated to teach ethnic studies courses. And that seems like an exciting way to bring OPM, which where I grew up, is called other people's money uh, into, (laughs) into New Mexico. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That, that program along with, you know, many others, you know, we're really focused when I, when I first started uh, here almost three years ago, our tagline is putting New Mexico first. You know, we first need to focus on uh, educating our population, like the chancellor said, um, and enticing industry to come into our state, right, for economic development. Sure. But also looking at our border states, because we, too, they understand our culture as we develop our curriculum and we look at our pedagogy. Our students want to see themselves within our curriculum. We know how to do that better than anyone else. Right. When I look at some of the mega universities, they're not really looking at our culture, what it means to be a New Mexican, what it means to give back. Um, So we can do that here, but we can also look at our border border states to be able to bring them in and to increase that revenue. You know, I say all of this, Damien, because, you know, as we grow this and we're already seeing this now with the initial investment that the, the chancellor made into this program is we can create a level of sustainability for us here, right, and throughout our state. And so we're just looking to scale this to even a a larger uh, group of people. Chancellor, is there anything you want to add to that? Well, uh, so first of all, I think uh, what we're recognizing is after the pandemic, it was not clear whether 
students would come back to, uh, you know, universities in the, in the traditional way. And, and, and for the most part, they did the traditional students who come out of high school and want to go to a college are typically still doing that. But there's about somewhere between 15 and 20% of the students that actually like the, the totally online experience. And so even for more traditional students, what you're seeing is, is public institutions across the nation are starting to offer fully online courses uh, just to meet that the demand of that particular part of the population. Now, as as uh, as Dr. Coleman and Sherry was just talking about, we've got a lot of people in New Mexico that are just that are they they've got they're non-traditional, they're partial, you know, they either have partial college or no college, and and we'd like to get them you know some credentials or some additional training that allows them to have a better and more meaningful uh, career option. So whether it be, you know, CTE uh, career technical, or whether it be, you know, a more advanced work, you know, we're committed to the educational services of the entire state. So we see this as a, as a very big part of our future, primarily because it allows us to meet student needs in more ways, but it also has a, a financial over uh, overlay that's pretty positive to us. Uh, many of the students who uh, are taking these online classes are paying, paying full freight. We are a high aid institution. So what we do is we provide a lot of student aid. So uh, we typically, for students that are in our immersion courses, our traditional students, uh, they end up, uh, we end up discounting more than 33% of the overall tuition costs of all of our students, you know, as a university. That's, um, that's commendable. It's a good thing for our students. Uh, our online programs, uh, though, they pay full freight. And when they do, uh, they bring more money, uh, revenue money in, into the coffers. And that helps us with our operating expenses. And that will help us uh, maintain uh, stability for the future. So we're, we're very, very pleased with the financial considerations of how you implement online programs. When done properly, uh, they can be uh, they can be really a, a big asset to the university, both strategically and financially. This might be a good time to talk about NMSU's IT infrastructure. What can you tell us about the the university's needs? Chancellor, I'll I'll start with you, but if you want to reel somebody else in, feel free to kick it over. Yeah, happy to do that. You know, gosh, IT is something that I've been interested in for a long time and and everything that relates to to cybersecurity, just because it's just it's just the the needs of the present. Because everything is becoming more digital these days, uh, you have more players more state actors, uh, it's, it's a global problem where you've got essentially breaches of, uh, of security uh, occurring everywhere, not to mention just having, you know, good, proper hygiene in your IT services and your information technologies, which, which enable you to operate, you know, efficiently and effectively. So all of these things were very, very high priority. When we first got here, when I first got here in 2018, looked at the, at the IT infrastructure, and I got to tell you, I was alarmed. If you look at uh, grading that we get from some of our cybersecurity colleagues, we had people come in and do an evaluation. We were we were uh, graded a D out of a you know a, a, uh, an ABCD. Yeah, that's not good. I, I'm pleased to say that one of the one of the silver linings of the pandemic was that we got a big influx of resources, lump sum money from the federal government. Uh, to help us through get through the the, uh, the 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 crisis. Well, one of the things you need is digital assets to do that. You, you, in order to go remote learning, it's not the same as online digital programs, by the way. But in order to go remote, we needed you know technology, we yeah. a bunch of things that we did not have, and um, and we had started that process because of our online programs. But now, after the pandemic, we really made the investment, and what we were able to do with big lump sums. Uh, was to be able to invest in our infrastructure for cyber and cybersecurity. I am pleased to say this last uh, evaluation that we got for our cybersecurity hygiene, we were on A, no longer a D. And um, very, very big wow. accomplishment in, tr- in turning our IT structure around because that will bring you to your knees faster than anything else. You know, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, several universities in the state have had breaches that uh, literally had them. Uh, uh, in, in out of operation for like a week. We just simply cannot afford to do that. Yeah, so. and three-fifths of your tenure at NMSU has, has been marked by the COVID pandemic, so. Oh, yeah, so so we, the good news is we took, we, the silver lining was we got that big lump sum from the federal government. You know, it's, it was operationally roughly $50 million. That allowed us to make some fairly big, significant investments in, in IT infrastructure that heretofore we had not been able to make for decades. 
Yeah, and and, and the IT department had been begging and pleading for a long time, uh, and and finally the the money was there to to get it done. Absolutely, you know, I I find that all you know always a, an interesting dynamic is that we've got good people; they know what to do. And when you're resource resource poor, uh, it really does uh, challenge uh, being effective in certain things. So yeah, to to our to the credit of our of IT folks, they knew they they knew there was an issue there. And uh, when when the opportunity presented itself, they were they were Johnny on the spot. So I really, really am pleased with the amount of IT uh, you know, improvements that we've made over the last seven years. I don't want to get bogged down in the various infrastructure needs across the various NMSU campuses from grants to Alamogordo to Sunspot. But I would like to get a top level view of the greatest needs. Well, you know, I, I like you, Damon. I wanted I wanted that picture for myself. I'm gonna say, what you know, if, if if we had a wish list and 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 we and we were just able to do inventory of what is it that we would really need um, to really put ourselves back, in, you know, in a in a in a top, you know, condition. Um, the numbers are alarming. They're huge. They're in the billions of dollars, right? You know, and and that's just one institution. And I might add, there are over thirty institutions in the state of New Mexico, all of whom have similar plights. I just got off the off a call with uh, other university presidents, and and um, everybody has uh, pretty much the same issues with both facilities and um, we call it uh, BR and R, but essentially replacement and uh, you know re. re, re Recovery and replacement, I think, is what the BR and R. I'm not sure exactly what the term stands for, but other other than the, the it's infrastructure. It's 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 all of our physical infrastructure, and if I look at the things that are part of our biggest and most critical asks, it's the it's physical infrastructure. We have a campus that uses district heating and cooling, and we have water and steam tunnels underneath our campus that help us both keep the the uh, the, the uh, buildings both. Uh, warm and cold in the winter, in the summertime and wintertime, we need serious upgrades in that $12 million of requests for just the infrastructure on water, electrical infrastructure, another $6 million, our IT infrastructure, still a lot of need there. You know, we're talking of something on the order of $13 million. We've got these new ag modernization facilities going up. The good news for us is we didn't have enough resources to, to completely buy all the equipment for them, but we were able to get a federal grant for almost $7 million, six plus million dollars that allowed us to populate those buildings. So we've got some, some money coming in for, 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 um, for the equipment for our ag modernization initiatives, which is going to really put, put the university in a much better position going forward. Then there are things that relate to, you know, some of the specific uh, facilities like the physical sciences laboratory, PSL. Right. Um, you know, we're, we're looking for a for special compartmentalized, um, you know, facility. They call it a SCIF, uh, a special compartmentalized uh, information to, uh, you know. Uh, like the place where you talk about top secret information? Yes, it's it's called, it, in fact, I, I get the acronym. It's Sensitive Compartmentalized Information okay, Facility. So that's SCIF, S-C-I-F. And what it is is where you do top secret clearance uh, kind of work. You have huh. to be able to. To have a facility to do that, a good facility to do that. So, you know, you add all those physical infrastructure needs up. I mean, it's, you know, you're getting in the 30 plus million dollars worth of, worth of needs, you know, student success. So we're always, you know, we, we've talked about online. We've talked about, well, uh, we're going to make a big push, uh, you know, together with graduate students, not just here at NMSU, but at UNM at tech as well to, uh, to ask the legislature for some support for graduate students. That's another big need right. for our student success uh, functions. And, you know, just everything that really relates to, you know, education, STEM education, uh, health and, and, and public health, uh, you know, those are all areas that we we know we can make a difference if we had more resources. So those are going to be on our ask list. In addition to our capital outlay, in addition to our um, our RPSPs, which, which we which we call those are the research and public service projects. Um, and um, and and then and then there are a number of other you know, gosh, um, there are several institutions together with the with the um, agencies in the state that are looking at co- projects that might provide a lot more uh, collective work together. One of those, for instance, is a reforestation center. You remember the fires that we had up in up in uh, the northern part of the state? Sure. Well, it was one of those was a um, was was related to uh, the reforestation center, uh, the more Armora. Uh, Ag experiment station actually has 
you know, the responsibility for uh, replanting uh, forests. And so it's all the seedling production and, uh, and, and genetic uh, research that goes along with, with, with reforestation. And so that will be a big uh, request as well. Uh, it's, it's a partnership between UNM Highlands, Mexico State, with a fiduciary on that, and the state forester. So there'll be there'll be um, programs like that one, like the Produce Water Research Consortium that we're a part of, the STEM uh, Education Center that uh, we would like to stand up. All of those are collective types of initiatives that we will be uh, discussing with legislators and uh, and uh, other uh, other uh, institutions as well. Right. Um, and as we go through the process, so lots sure. lots talk about over the course of the next two months you're also looking towards some big investments in athletics how would that money be used well you know the good news for for us is that um, you know we we were able to uh, not just get the opportunity to, to join a new conference but we were able to to consummate that deal and and, and it's going to improve our revenue uh, production uh, quite significantly that'll help us maintain our athletic programs a little bit more um, more effectively, I think, going forward. The thing about athletics is we, we're able to get you know we we've been uh, we've not been able to, to be in a in a uh, in a conference that played football for for a few years, and so getting in a conference that plays football is a fairly significant event. It also requires that we make some significant investments in facilities. We've got a very dilapidated, very aging men's locker a football locker room. Well, that's been on our on our agenda now for literally a, a decade or more, and it's been almost impossible to try to find the resources to to to, to do that. Well, the, the good news for us is we um, we were able to to uh, to work with the students, and uh, the students actually put that request into their request for uh, you know how they would allocate student fees. We had some capital request money that 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 got um, satisfied uh, in their student fees. So without raising student fees at all. Just by reallocating. Just by reallocating. So so the student fees will not go up as a result of this. But in fact, they were able to allocate $15 million to build a new men's uh, locker room that uh, will be extremely uh, valuable for us. We kind of made that commitment to Conference USA that we would be doing that. So now and we'll convert our old one into a visitor's locker room. So we'll have one for each team, which we have not had in the past. Last year, we were able to secure um, uh, a new a new uh, turf, uh, you know, artificial turf for, our, for Memorial Stadium. So we'll get that plus uh, a little bit more for some practice fields. In addition to that, we have it on good on good order that, uh, you know, the state and the governor's uh, office is going to is going to help us with a new scoreboard for Memorial Aggie Memorial Stadium as well. So those are all investments and money that's already allocated. Money's already in the bank, and we're starting the process of building those facilities. Gotcha. Uh, we will we will make new requests uh, going forward into um, into the legislature, uh, and we'll just uh, again uh, hopefully uh, get some relief on, on some of the other things that we need uh, beyond just football. We've got a lot of things uh, necessary for us. Uh, what do you across our sixteen sports? What do you think the biggest holes in NMSU's budget lie? No question in my mind, operational expenses. You know, we get a generous amount of uh, support from the legislature for student financial aid, especially last year with the passing of the Opportunity Scholarship, which was a real boon. I mean, that really helped us a lot. Um, and and, what, and I think it what impact did that have on the NMSU system? Well, you know, overall, I think we were very similar to some of the other uh, the other uh, you know educational systems. Is it, it had a fairly significant effect in, in terms of the uh, you know first time full time freshmen. This is, we got the full largest full time first time freshman class in decades, literally in twenty years. That's real positive. That suggests that um, students are you know coming out of high school are saying, okay, we're going to pick. New Mexico, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna stay in the state for that. Uh, the opportunity scholarship, no doubt, has helped many of them make that decision to stay in the state. I think, um, and a, a and so, pretty sizable uh, population yeah, sure. of of students who had stopped going to college and came back. Yes, yeah. There's a lot of because it offers you that option. You know, unlike unlike lottery, once you take it and you and you don't and you lose it, it's hard to get it. You don't get it back. Right. Uh, the, these ones you get back, if, or you know, again, you can come back essentially after you've been out for a while. It, it's not not clear to me. Most of our help went to the branch college, our community colleges, um, and not not so much to the main campus. Although we had had a number of takers at the main campus as well, but um, you know, it, it helped. It, it helped a lot. 
across the board. There were, I don't know, six, 800 people, I think, uh, were able to take advantage of it uh, for NMSU. I, I have to go back and look at the numbers directly, but it was a, it was a huge, it was a huge number. Um, and um, we were, uh, I think, very, very pleased to have that. But to answer your question the, the about what the biggest gaps are, it's operating expenses. What's not clear uh, to the legislature sometimes is they believe that, you know, putting in, you know, literally, um, you know, it's going to, it's probably going to be closer to a hundred million this next year, you know, in terms of, in terms of the actual need, it's, you know, somewhere north of 70 million, I think is what the actual numbers will be for, for what is required. Uh, well, just, just in operational costs. That's a I'm sorry. That's, that's for opportunity across the state. And so part of the legislative, uh, I, I think prioritization and agenda is to how can we make sure that we have recurring money to fund that? Cause right now, cause last year it was not recurring money. It was one-time money for the bulk of that. So they're trying to figure out how do we get recurring money for that? Now, those that, that opportunity scholarship helps students, no question. It helps students, and that's a good thing. But it does not help us necessarily with operating expenses. If our enrollments are are essentially flat, our, our enrollments are up two point six percent on the entire on the entire system. We're up three point two percent in the um, in the undergraduate uh, four year school Las Cruces campus, right and. And and I think so. Those are the those are the those are the numbers that helps a lot, but it it it, it doesn't solve what I'm going to call fairly significant costs that we have for operations that uh, simply well, we are not. Able you've to. got to find a way to support those additional students, right? And and and, and you know, and, and part of the cost. One of the again, like I said earlier, most of our costs are labor. Well, the the biggest. And most important part of our labor cost is our faculty salaries and our faculty salaries are not competitive. We, we are, we, we've done analysis. You know, we, we've, we've talked about wanting to become an R1 and R1 is a research university that is the top tier. There are like 300 of those. And, and we want to break into that. We're right on the cusp of getting there. UNM is one, UTEP is one. We're right on the cusp. We, we, we should be able to get to that fairly quickly. But one of the things that, that, that we look at for, for, for the, for those, um, for those recurring, um, again, for the, for those, those revenues is that, that um, uh, we, we have a, a lot of, of concerns regarding how do we keep our faculty properly motivated when we are 25% of the market of the market index of our ones were 40% of R twos, which is in fact, you know, the group where we're that we're in now that we're trying to break out of. We've got, you know, something on there on the order of it's north of ten million. It's probably ten or eleven million dollars of recurring budget deficit to bring our faculty up to the forty percent of R ones. That's what our right. analysis. Just so we not, need, just we not need, keeping we, pace with the the we're, market. We're, we're not. We're not keeping pace with inflation. We're not keeping pace with anything that, that really matters to make us competitive. So we need we we need extra we need extra operating expenses because that's where it it comes out of ing. And so what we're looking for is you know is some fairly significant ing requests. You know we're we're asking the programs to give us you know a five percent increase in ing. We're asking for a ten percent increase in in essentially administration or faculty and 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 and, and all salaries um, and uh if you're just tuning in uh and don't know what ing is that's instruction and general funding oh <laughs> thank, you. thank you david thank you we get we get acronym uh happier <laughs> so yes instruction in general which is the basic uh, funding for operations at at, at uh, universities and higher ed so you know i i think the legislature has difficulty saying well, we're helping higher ed by because we put this massive amount of money in uh, in opportunity scholarship and in and in financial aid we applaud that that's not please don't get me wrong we we think that's a great thing we also need the operating funds to help to teach those students. <laughs> and that part is missing. And and so we keep going back to the legislature and that'll be part of our, we got our work cut out for us to make sure we educate them, to let them know that it, it takes the whole package. You got to have both the financial aid to help the students make sure that they can afford it. You got to have the, the uh, recurring revenues for operational funds. So you have both high quality um, faculty and administrators to help essentially 
instruct those students who ultimately are the beneficiaries of this outcome. Yeah. So that's that's where we're headed. There are two items on the university's uh, list of legislative priorities I found particularly fascinating. The first was two and a half million dollars for the Anna Age Eight Institute. And I don't know who would be best to grab this, but what can you tell us about that? Yeah. And, and Clayton, I'm going to ask you to give me a little bit more more uh, color commentary on that one. Anna Age Eight is a program that was started up in um, up in northern New Mexico. Uh, both high, I think Highlands was the was the primary author of this to, to get started so a couple of years ago they they've asked new mexico state to be to take that on and um and in fact uh yeah we we are we are in addition to the 2.5 million that we already have in terms of recurring requests of the past we're asking for another um I- increase in that of another four hundred and twenty three thousand dollars. uh clayton can you say another couple of words about about arana aj to uh, activities absolutely so I would say that maybe the best way to frame it is that this is very much uh, a legislatively supported program in that it has a great deal of sponsors and champions that have put their junior bill money in in this past legislative session to use by funding the NIAJ Institute. And the work of that institute is effectively what some are calling a one-stop shop of 10 services provided to individuals uh, that range from healthcare, childcare. There are 10, 10 items, and unfortunately, I'm not well-versed on all 10 uh, off the top sure, of my head. Sure. But the desire is to really meet the holistic needs of people within the community as identified by this institute, these 10 items that are sort of meeting the basic needs of any individual. And I think it has a lot of, again, supporters within the state legislature, and they really feel strongly about the program. And so that explains its explosive growth in funding. And now we're sort of at the crossroads where we are uh, giving that program legs and seeing it spread out through the state. It is housed within our cooperative extension service, which you also see is is an RPSP of its own, but it sort of is a constitutional entity. And um, uh, it's a statewide initiative. And so that explains, you know, the, the amount of funding that you see. There are many that would argue that it's still, as you can see, there's a almost a uh, 20 to 25% increase in funding requested. And that is because the needs are so great and because it, it reaches across the right. state into every county and community. And so I think you'll continue to see legislative support and the desire to grow this. I think there will be bills sponsored to sort of strengthen this effort. And um, I think just for the in your interest, you you know, a great resource if you wanted to pick the brain of an individual. Uh, Senator Souls has been very much a champion of this. And I think yes, he, he would speak in depth on on. Uh, its benefits and also where he sees the program going. The other was the $1.1 million, give or take, for autism programs. What does NMSU hope to do with that money? Yeah, I'll ask, I'll ask Clayton to give you a little bit more color commentary on that one also. This is one that was championed by by Senator uh, Mary Kay Papin uh, a number of years ago. She's obviously a, a big champion of that of that center. And um, and, it, and it has continued to be. We, we we do not have had not had an autism center in the southern part of the state. So this is filling a fairly critical need, and in fact, uh, providing uh, I think support and services for a population that has uh, been grossly underserved for a lot of years. And and I think um, this is starting to really get some traction. I know she's still quite a champion about that. I know uh, Director Abby was here uh, last week, uh, actually touring the facility. Um, because I think it's got uh, not just, uh, you know, a, a little bit of a, a local impact. It's got a great deal of local impact. A lot of folks really interested in it. And uh, so we're very, very pleased with, with that particular program. Uh, Clayton, you want to say a, a word or two more about that? Yes, sir. So I, I think what I would add is that this program serves not just the community of Las Cruces and, and Doniana County, but really the southern region of the state. There are only two of these diagnostic centers in the entire state, the other being at UNM. And 
tragically to my thinking, there are extensive wait lists at both of these facilities. I think UNM still remains at about a two-year wait. And thanks to the investments and the, the, the build out that we have seen at our Autism Diagnostic Center, we have cut that wait list time down to something like nine months is the last I heard from also being two years. And effectively what it is is that there is an extensive team of experts that are required to uh, deliver a diagnosis of autism um, from uh, speech pathologists, psychiatrists, uh, psychologists, social workers that one do the diagnosis and then follow up with recommendations for services. And this is obviously, it goes without saying, but crucial to individuals and their families in terms of receiving the the necessary referrals for services at the pre-K through 12 level. But we're also hearing a lot of reports of uh, adults seeking out these services because sadly our, our state did not have the level of diagnostic services previously. So there are, I'm sure, many New Mexicans that sort of slipped through the cracks and did not receive the, the proper diagnosis at an earlier age. And so this funding effectively builds out the team because there there's still a shortage in terms of uh, the second diagnostic team having, I think it was a, a social worker and a speech pathologist uh, fully on staff, particularly with a bilingual education, in order to complete more diagnoses. My understanding is it's about seven diagnostic tests or 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 examinations that take place per week. And it's just simply not sufficient for the, the needs of right. individuals in the state. Chancellor, what do you want to add that we haven't talked about? Well, you know, I, as, I, as I do an inventory, uh, I mean, I'm looking at all of the things that we're engaged and involved in. And, and a couple of, of, of um, items emerge. And, you know, I used to say, well, when I, when I first got here, what I would say is, show me the budget and I'll show you what your priorities are. So I, I like to look at the at the budget from the perspective of what are we requesting and where what are the where's the money going uh, on uh, to to help me establish what our priorities look like or at least what our er, emphasis areas are. And if I look at that, we've just talked about some of the RPFPs uh, RPSPs uh, here, and there's a big there's, version there's of them. Uh, acronym alert. That's <laughs> Yes. Yeah. So, so RPSB research uh, and and uh, public service projects, and also our capital outlay projects. If I look at those, they they really fall into three categories: health, nursing expansion, mental health, autism, education. The yep. Center of Excellence on Education, STEM education, the Ana Age Eight, the Camp, the Migrant Farm Workers kind of stuff, and then natural resources and energy which relates to Water Resources Institute, the Produce Water Research Consortium, our, our work with uh, with hydrogen, our work with uh, environmental monitoring in Carlsbad. All of those programs kind of support everything that relates to energy and, uh, and natural resources, uh, including our water, water efforts. So, you know, we're an ag school. We are a school that also caters to national security and our vet programs. And those kinds of things that relate to, uh, you know, some of the things that, that, that PSL does and, and some of the things that we do up in grants with our, uh, you know, our, our, our programs uh, with, uh, with uh, incarceration. So I think we, we play a fairly unique and important part of economic development in the state of New Mexico. And um, I don't want it to get lost on folks that, you know, it's the university doing stuff that really relates to the university. It's the university doing stuff that relates to the needs of the population and the citizens of New Mexico. And I just want to make sure that we, that we capture that aspect of it because I think uh, NMSU is a, is a real jewel uh, in the state's coffers of, uh, you know, to make an investment in because it does provide a great impact. Uh, you know, once we educate students and they begin to, to do what they do, you know, to our, uh, to our local economies. Clayton, anything you want to add? I think I would just echo what the chancellor said. I, I, would like to highlight between uh, NMSU Online, which is really a statewide, I mean, a statewide initiative with a statewide impact, and and really delivers services to the deepest of our rural communities. You add on to that 
our agricultural programs, which you'll see under the research and public service projects, we have the Agricultural Experiment Station, the Cooperative Extension Service, New Mexico Department of Agriculture. We are a statewide school delivering services, education, resources to every community, every county. And so those programs are so important um, from a statewide holistic perspective and and they are part and parcel. And so I, I just really emphasize that again, that we uh, are much more than just Las Cruces School. We obviously have that deep in, um, embedded roots in Las Cruces and in Doña Ana County, but with our ag science centers across the state and our cooperative extension service offices. And then to point out what, uh, Cancer Arvizu also mentioned things like the Water Resources Research Institute and Produce Water uh, Research, which are initiatives, programs that really can change the course of the state if supported, if uh, we can get the finances necessary to support the outstanding researchers we have. We are really doing great things at this university at a statewide level. And uh, Sherry, is there... Anything you want to add? No, I think the chancellor and uh, Clayton um, summed it up well. Um, I, I mean, I guess um, kind of backing up, I, I you know, the biggest thing for us with uh, NMSU Online is just, you know, allowing people to know that NMSU made the investment um, initially, you know, the over three, $3 million, but also knowing that we need to be able to have an institution that has the expertise to build this online campus to really serve the needs of, of New Mexico and really create an opportunity for our local students, but also at the, in the same vein, um, really kind of removing those mega universities uh, where we're taking money out of our state. Yeah, yeah, sure. Thank you all so much for your time today. Oh, we thank you, Damien. It's been our pleasure, Damien. Thank you for giving us the time to, to, to talk about NMSU. We love that. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Reporter's Notebook. We also have a newsletter sharing reporter stories about, well, about how we report stories. You can find all of our reporting in the Las Cruces Sun News. A huge thanks goes out to Chancellor Arvisu, Clayton, and Sherry for joining us this week. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and many of the places you find your favorite podcasts. This has been the Reporter's Notebook from the Las Cruces Sun News. I'm your host, Damian Willis. This week's podcast was written and produced by me. You can also find all our local reporting brought to you daily by reporters who live and work in Las Cruces at www.lcsun-news.com. For all of us at The Sun News, thank you for the privilege of your time.